main activist. Some people in town say the base is run by aliens working with our federal government to conduct mind control and genetic experiments. I'm leaving. I'm glad. Thanks a lot, society, for railroading my ass. Welcome back, Erie Americas. This is your host, Vicki Ayala. Welcome, welcome back. This is your host, Christy Hull. And I say that because this is our second take. I was about to say, if you hear me sounding annoyed, it is because I am annoyed because we literally just recorded 12 minutes of audio and then my audacity failed and then Christy's mic stopped working. So we are talking for the second time. So we're not really catching up. Yeah, but let's get into the good vibes that it is officially October. It is eerie October. It is this beautiful fall, crisp, cold in the air. I'm wrapped in a sweater right now, a little stuffy, loving oh, my Oh, yeah. Life. I've been wearing my hoodies and my and boots. Things could be worse, so at least we got it going. I've been, I've been in sweater weather mode since, like, before it was probably sweater weather, but it actually is sweater weather now, so I'm very, very happy. The weekend after she saw me here in Colorado. It's- that was the that was when you the the weekend you were here in Colorado since then yeah because I just I'll sweat because I just that. love wearing hoodies and I love wearing sweaters and this is my favorite time of year but it's also podcast wise my favorite time of year because as we've always told you guys we prepare for Erie October long before Erie October we save our best cases for now so I am like su- oh, yeah. I am super excited because Christy's been telling me about her episode for a while no details just like how crazy it is and whenever she tells me certain things I already know I'm gonna be scared shitless so I'm totally ready to shit my pants today like I'm just ready to be creeped out and scared um (laughs) I hope you guys are too also want to tell you guys to if you listen to us but don't follow us on um social media now would be the time to follow us because we have a pretty big announcement coming up this week I have no idea what day it actually is because I am super disorganized and never have time but I do promise it's coming this week And you'll only know about it if you follow us on Twitter and Instagram. And because I don't know what day it is, I can't tell you what day to listen in, but it does. So just follow us and... We'll probably talk about it in our next episode once it's already dropped in case you are just to kind of whet your appetite and check it out over there if you guys would like. And I know last year we kind of ended in the final week of October. For right now, we're going to say we're going to keep going. 2020 has been hard enough. We're trying our best to put our heads in the sand and move on from our quarantines and our lockdowns and try to get into our day-to-day and we want to you know keep providing this kind of entertainment not just for you but for us as well we we want something to look and forward like to like last year we ended early because we were just we just had a lot going on in our personal lives and it was getting to the point where you know Chrissy and I were discussing like if we didn't stop at that moment we might end up ending the podcast because it was getting to a point where it wasn't fun anymore and at the end of the day this is supposed to be something that was fun for us so this year we're hoping that barring any super weird malfunctions thank you so much for those of you who after all of these months you could have forgotten about us but you didn't you came back you're listening you're binging you're commenting you're writing to us we really really appreciate it and because of you guys we kind of really really want to try to keep on going past halloween and eerie october much love definitely Yes, I'm going to read you guys a pretty short Reddit. I had a long one scheduled for today, but I'm so eager to get into this episode that I'm not going to I'm not going to like read anything long or drawn out or anything like that. So this is a Reddit post from Ducky Sue and it is called Friendly Ghost. Well, back at around 2006 or 2007, my sister and her two kids moved into a cute little two bedroom in the country. We are from a tiny town, so this house was very secluded. 
My sister worked as a cashier at a 24-hour convenience store and was a single mom, so I would stay over a lot to prevent her needing to pay a babysitter. The previous tenant of this house had passed in a car accident. Creepy ghost stuff. TV channels changing, bumps in the night. Happened constantly, but if you called the guy out on it, it would stop. One particular night, I was getting the kids, age 6 and 3, ready for bed. I had a radio on low in their bedroom while we were in the bathroom across the hall. Both doors were open and I could see the radio. Now this radio had horizontal dials on the front to control the station and volume. Suddenly, the station changed and the volume cranked up. Being only 17 myself, I internally freaked out, but I felt like I had to put on a brave face to keep the children from being frightened. In my best angry mom voice, I sternly said, Mr. Ghostname, you know it's a school night and these babies need to sleep. You cut it out. Immediately, the radio went back to the original station and turned back low. I didn't sleep much that night. What is this ghost? Casper? I, whenever I hear friendly ghost, I think Casper, but yep. that's legit like the friendliest interaction I've heard since you told me about that time when you had that indentation in your bed when you were having a conversation with your family and then you guys asked it to get up and it moved. Like, that's so crazy that... Yeah, that's literally what this reminded me of. That's wild. It's crazy stuff, man. I've heard of intelligent hauntings, but intelligent hauntings usually don't mean that they're literally intelligent, but maybe they are. Maybe the energy they got from the radio. Or maybe we are really just ourselves, just not in our shell anymore and we can still do the same things that we typically physical did. form like right who knows it's like turn the radio that's up that's crazy shit that's pretty that was creepy good. weirdly enough looking back into our history of things which hasn't been that long i've never done an abduction case no they i've done i've done both of the abduction cases yeah so um i came across one and i just had to wait for october because it sounds fake guys when we say that we have been planning eerie october for months we have literally been planning i cannot wait for this right now you have no idea you're gonna appreciate it too because it's in your hometown this is the case of linda napolitano and linda napolitano also known as linda cortile has one of the best and i and i say this one of the best ufo abductions in the history of abductions because there were multiple people who saw it who did not know the abductee. You know, usually you find these stories from people that are like, oh, I saw it happen with my wife or my husband. Yeah, with the Barney and Betty Hill case, it was like her sister and and her sister had been abducted. And it's like, can you really take this person's word for it? But you generally are not going to find people who don't know you to lie for you. Exactly. So that was what makes it a very unique point in this case. And it's not surprising people saw it, given it's one of the most populated places in the world. But Linda's case has become known as the Brooklyn Bridge abduction. Yes, I'm so excited. I'm going to like, the only thing I know about this, I know little to nothing, but I think you guys should remember back in season one, one of my friends and I took a haunted trolley tour around Brooklyn. Yep. And this was a story that she briefly touched on that I was like, holy shit, why can't you tell me more? She was like, oh yeah, there was an abduction on the Brooklyn Bridge. There's a lot of stuff on it. Look it up. And I'm like... What do you mean? Like, why wouldn't you tell me the story? So when Christy told me she was doing it, I got so excited. I've been listening. I've been waiting for this for over a year. Yeah, you really have. So and I, I've been waiting a year to tell it. So <laughs> I hope you guys enjoy. So this takes place in the 80s, almost into the 90s. On November 30th, 1989, a large unidentifiable object was spotted around 3.15 a.m. in Manhattan in New York City. A bluish white light coming from the ufo streamed onto a 12-story apartment building where linda napolitano or cortile lived linda was somehow floating out of her bedroom window by that large beam of light right through the closed window we're not talking like an open window she somehow absorbed through glass onto this beam of light 
All right, I'm already creeped out. We're like right into this. After being abducted, Linda found herself in an examination room surrounded by unknown creatures. She was lying down on a table, but all of a sudden she recalls being back in her room. So this is like what she can recall on her own. Linda was hella confused. I mean, who wouldn't be? She didn't know if this had really happened or if it was just a bad dream and she was only remembering bits and pieces. What kind of experience can you say? I just floated out of my apartment and now I'm back here. Like what just happened? Even if it was a dream, that is still a super creepy fucking dream. Totally. So she decided that it was like too much to not tell somebody and decided she would try to get some help. So after she did some like hypnosis sessions, she began to remember more about the abduction. So we're going to really get into now more detail about what happened the night of her abduction, November 30th of 89. I'm literally at the edge of my seat, like literally (laughs) at the edge of it. Linda was in bed in her apartment and saw five short, dark, shadowy figures at the foot of her bed as if watching her. We would call them Grace, those of us that are UFO aficionados. Prior to spotting them, she had felt a strange presence in the room, sort of like she was being watched. So before they even kind of arrived, she got the sense that something was going on. She suddenly started to feel what she describes as a slow paralysis going up her legs as she tried to throw a pillow at one of these creatures. It's such a New York thing to do, like anything. Right, to like you just throw it defend yourself. <laughs> People from other states probably are just like freaked out, and we're just like, "What can I throw?" But like honestly, the paralysis thing freaks me out because I know, I know a per, I know a person who gets sleep paralysis, and I watched. Um, if you ever watched The Haunting of Hill House, um, watch it. It's really good. But yeah, the girl Nell gets sleep paralysis, and that's always been a fear of mine because I find that to be so incredibly fucking scary. You don't sleep, so so you don't have to worry about it. (laughs) But the paralysis (laughs) thing is freaking me out because I can just imagine like you're sitting there and you can't move. But she, of course, still tries to find a way to throw a pillow at it because she's from New York. But then as a result, she started to feel her arms begin paralysis. So first it was just her legs, but trying to defend herself, all of a sudden her arms no longer work as well. She also recalled trying to wake up her husband, like, but she couldn't move or scream. And he would be sound asleep through this entire ordeal. Holy shit, that's kind of like crazy right there. She stated they took her into the living room where the white bluish beam of light shone through the living room that she remembered and she began levitating in a fetal position through the closed glass window. Three of the five aliens accompanied her up the journey, hovering above New York City. She managed to get herself out of the fetal position and stood up in midair as if she was standing on supporting ground, floating up towards the vessel that opened up like a clam. And she and the three aliens floated inside. The craft then rapidly sped downward into the East River by Pier 17 and went underwater. What? I've never heard that before in an alien abduction. For some reason, two of the five Grace stayed in her apartment at this time. I was going to say, I was about to ask you, like, where are the other two? While she was in the craft, she was still levitating. So this is all from her memory. Like, she was still kind of hovering above. And she was floated down several hallways. And the hallways she remembered really distinctly when she was underneath the hypnosis she remembered details like the inside of the ship sliding doors she said the benches in the hallways kind of look like our benches and there were lights and buttons all over these rooms so she described being led down a hall and placed on a table that seemed medical where aliens would perform a procedure on her naturally she became really scared of this realization like hell yeah like what the hell's going on she screamed and shouted and one of the aliens and their language said something like no and covered her mouth with its hand, as if telling her to shut the hell up. Several aliens performed some type of medical procedure on her, including, like, in her nose. In Lamb's own words, when she returned to her apartment, 
she tried to wake up her husband at and at this point she even rushed to go wake up her kids because you know she's a married woman with children but nothing she tried worked it was almost as if they were quote turned off she thought at first that they weren't breathing but the mirrors she held below their noses proved otherwise she could not wake a single person up from her home maybe those two aliens that stayed behind did something so that they wouldn't wake up because maybe that was their job to make sure everybody else stayed asleep that was my thought too so that was the abduction that she could recall what happens after is almost as crazy as the abduction itself so not long after this night linda had noticed a bump on her nose like her nose had just looked a little different and she went to her doctor Upon visiting the doctor sometime later, like this happened, months went by. She tried to wrap her head around it. This wasn't immediate. This wasn't like the next day she went to the doctor to find out what was going on because she just couldn't. This is a slow progression, going to a therapist, going to figure out what's going on. This was all very in time. This was this was occurring. So upon visiting the doctor sometime later, the doctor had indicated that Linda must have had nasal surgery based on the based on the scar he could see. But Linda is very specific. Yeah. But Linda insisted she had no history of any type of surgery, let alone nasal nasal surgery. Like she's never been under underneath the, the knife. So the doctor took an x-ray of her nose. The x-ray showed something she could not explain. It was described as a, quote, non-natural object of an unknown material. And it looked like a shank with two curly wires on them. So the x-ray can be found online and we will definitely post it on our episodes extra on social media. But shortly after the x-rays were taken, Linda got a very severe nosebleed. And she was afraid, you know, it was something to do with whatever that was in her nose. So she went back to the doctor. And this x-ray revealed that the object had magically vanished from her nasal cavity. So it just wasn't there anymore, Mm -hmm. but the doctor didn't take it out. Nope. And they couldn't see it on the x-ray anymore, but there was still a buildup of cartilage showing signs that it was in fact there. Linda suspected that due to the x-ray images, the greys re-abducted her and removed it since others saw it. I mean, how else would it have left her nose? Right. And maybe they panicked when they realized people like got a photo image. But they made sure to maybe not have her remember it so that they could just do it inconspicuously. And then she wakes up. She wakes up or later on has a severe nose. However, this is a theory as she has zero memories of a second taking. After the abduction and the x-rays, she had been reading a book by a well-respected UFO researcher, Bud Hopkins. Now, Bud was the man when it came to aliens at this time. He had written two best-selling books on the subjects of UFOs and abductions and stuff like that. Linda reached out after reading one of his books and wrote a letter to him, finding a similar case in a study in his book. So she kind of related to somebody that he had written about previously and was like, let me write this guy a letter. He decided to take on Linda's claim, as he calls it, and did some investigation. He stood by this case for years, even being the person who talked her into more regressive hypnotherapy sessions. So during the first year into the investigation of Linda's claims, he received communications from two men named Richard and Dan. The two men said they were witnesses to the abduction of Linda and claimed they were New York City police officers working in the area at the time of the abduction. So this is New York City cops as far as he knows. So it's not like some random person on the street, maybe that people wouldn't really believe these were cops. And what I'm going to like emphasize through this episode, Bud Hopkins never revealed like Linda's names or details of the case to her, to the witnesses. He was very... It's not like he could plant or not plant, but like implant ideas right 
Okay. Exactly. So this is what people told him based off of what they told him, not based off of anything he said. And remind you, this is a UFO research case. Or he's he's done this before. This isn't something that this is brand he's new to him. He's not new to this, yeah. So he has his protocol, including I don't tell the witnesses who she is. She doesn't tell the witness who I am. I don't tell the details. Yeah, mm-hmm. to get an authentic story. This episode's creeping me out a little bit. I feel like I'm going to need a second drink at some point. (laughs) (laughs) So he simply let the men tell them their version of the events. So there was no way these guys could claim that they were given the supposed facts. So did did, did it show like how he found these guys? No, they wrote him a letter, I guess, because he was doing the research. So he was able to reach and have communications with these men. But the description of the abduction exactly matched Linda's. We matched Linda's. According to one of the men, Richard, in his letter, from the letter, there was an oval-shaped object hovering over the top of the apartment building, two or three blocks up from where we sat. We didn't know where it came from. It happened too fast. Its light turned from a bright reddish-orange to a whitish-blue coming from out of the bottom. Green lights rotated around the saucer. A little girl or woman wearing a white gown sailed out the window in fetal position, then stood in mid-air in this beam of light. I could see three of the ugliest creatures I ever saw. I don't know what they were. They were not human. Very large heads with no hair. Those buggers were escorting her into the aircraft. My partner screamed, we've got to get them. We tried to get out of the car, but couldn't. After the woman was escorted in, the oval turned reddish orange again and whisked off. Talk about identical stories. Not first of all, the fact that they couldn't move, I feel like the creatures knew that they were watching and did something about it. But it's... Sometimes people could have a similar description of an event, but to have it came out the window, fetal position, standing, and then the number of creatures all exactly the same. And she was wearing a white gown. And she was wearing a white gown. Mm -hmm. That is like, it's, there's not a detail off. Yep. So once Hopkins realized that the stories match, he kind of slowly revealed that the woman they saw was Linda Cortile, but kept the rest of the details private until one later when they told their story and knew they were legit. So like, he waited. He didn't. He went right, through the process. Right. He wanted to make sure it was completely. Yeah. Though as time went on, Richard and Dan explained that they weren't New York City policemen, but actually CIA bodyguards for Javier Perez de Cuelar, a senior statesman at the United Nations Secretary General. That's so. Insane. This goes into a higher. This isn't just a public like beat walking cop. These are CIA agents that are coming forward with details because they just this can't understand what they intelligence saw. Intelligence employee. Like that is the fact that they even just happened to be there and they were the ones that saw it. Cause I feel like if it was anybody else, it didn't matter what job you had, if it was anybody else, people probably would have been like, you can't trust them, but you really can't say anything about a CIA agent. Nobody's gonna try to disprove that story. The two claimed to have CIA connections, but exhibited some odd behavior in the months after the abduction occurred. Whatever they did to them to not be able to move definitely fucked with their brain. Well, it fucked with them, period, because I always think when cops or any kind of law enforcement goes through something they can't explain, they they lose that sense of control and it gets yeah. to them. You know, I've always seen these stories. We watch a lot of those true crime shows and a lot of like haunting stories. And they will say, I'm a police officer. Nothing scares me. And I, I was freaked out that night. I didn't know what the hell to yeah. do. I got my family out of there. You know, like. Right. No, I've seen this. And it. like, there's been shows based off of like the cases that cops can't get out of their head. And it's always something that it's not just that they can't get out of their head. It changes them as a person. So uh, the two men claimed they were driving the security general when the vehicle stalled on the underpass of the FDR drive. 
Linda's apartment building was across from their vehicle, allowing them to witness the abduction as well as the UFO plunging into the East River. So they had like so the that viewpoints detail was also from the same. both. Yeah. This did not ease Dan and Richard's situation at all, though, because the men never recovered. And I think the confirmation that it was real sent them into a spiral because Dan went cuckoo. He, this guy goes fucking crazy, believing Linda gained some kind of special powers. So they both began to essentially stalk this woman. Leading up until they spoke to this guy, in their head, they probably just were like, whatever we saw wasn't real. And then once they got this confirmation, it's like, holy shit, what we saw was real. Yeah. And so they began to kind of stalk her, like literally followed her around. At one point, Richard said he felt like he couldn't protect her then. So he had to protect her now. So now she has these. I mean, I can see that. I can totally see that. Yeah. But but it's like weird. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, not in a good way. I can see it. I can see what their sense was because they did. I mean, they said, let's go get them. They couldn't move. So now they're like trying to overcompensate. But like it already happened. You can't do anything. And then Dan is sitting there saying she gained special powers. Like there must be something special or magical about her. You're bordering on like no longer logic here. But the height of it got bad in April of 1991 because the two men who witnessed Linda's abduction kidnapped her. Why can't this woman get a break? Is that a thing? The poor woman's already been abducted like twice at that point. And then you're going to kidnap her? It's yep. this bananas. <laughs> she doesn't get a break in the, in the galaxy. She doesn't get a break on Earth, I swear. Richard forced her into the backseat of her car in broad daylight, and Dan drove the car while they interrogated her for three hours. So wait, they felt that after they got proof that this was real, they still had to interrogate her? Yep. Dan frequently getting upset at Linda for claiming she didn't understand why they were kidnapping her, and Dan went as far as accusing her of being an alien herself. Really, dude? Really, dude. They forced to take off her shoes to check to see if she had human feet. After this, she was finally released without being harmed. CIA agents taking a woman off the street In broad daylight. In broad daylight. Yeah. When Linda told Bud Hopkins, because of course she's going to tell him. Of course. He put her back into a hypnotic state and regressive hypnosis so she would be able to recall the license plate of the Mercedes Benz she spent all that time in and of the plate of the Rolls Royce that was in front of the Benz when she was initially pulled into the car. Hopkins called the cops, and the cops confirmed that both plates were diplomatic plates associated with the United Nations. All these pieces are coming together. Dan and Richard wrote Hopkins another letter stating after the interrogation, they themselves had more memories come back to them. They said once they saw the ship dive into the water, they saw aliens in in Linda digging into the sand. They then decided to approach Linda and the creatures, and Linda pulled a dead fish out of the water looked them in the eye and said, look at what you have done. They asked what she meant, but she didn't say anything else. An alien spoke for Linda and said, Lady of the Sands. The men noticed that the aliens had no toes, which may have been why Dan was adamant to see her feet, even if he couldn't remember it at the time. So when I read that after, I was like, wait a minute. He wanted to see her feet. Why would he want to see her feet? Because he realized that aliens didn't have toes. I was like, out of all the things you could check to see if she's not alien, you're going to check her feet. But they were crazed. They were like already crazed at this point. So I'm like, all right, I'll let it be. But subconsciously, he still remembered. And the, the memory came floating back to them once they abducted her. The alien crew walked away and the men ended up back in their car. So whenever Linda told Hopkins details, he never told Richard or Dan and vice versa. I'm making that clear again. So he's getting two stories from two different sources that are forming one complete evening that is kind of matching up. It's very strange. After the beach stories, Hopkins performed regressive hypnosis again, and this time she recalled that she was on the shore, digging through samples with the aliens, and this wasn't the first time. 
Apparently, the aliens wanted to sample the sand to discover if any of the minerals in the sand could be causing the death of our many aquatic creatures. She remembered saying to Dan and Richard, look at what you've done, while the aliens referred to her as Lady of the Sands, but she didn't know what it meant. Again, he never told her the details that Richard and Dan revealed to them. Many months later, Dan came back and kidnapped Linda on his own. Again? This poor fucking woman! Yep, gets kidnapped again, this time taking her to a deserted beach house in Long Island, forcing her to wear a similar gown from the night of the abduction, believing she was a threat to the human race. Linda was able to escape from Dan, but was recaptured by him shortly on the beach, so she managed to get away, was running, and he caught up with her and anyway. And he got her again. Linda was positive Dan would drown her in the ocean, and he did in fact try, but Richard arrived and stopped Dan. Richard took Linda back to her place, where she told Richard something had to be done about Dan because he was getting crazy. Like, she was like, listen, like, this is out of control. Like, he's trying to kill me I now. also think she needs to move. Yeah, but I mean, you know, who moves from a place in Manhattan? You know, like, it's one of those things, sure. like, especially in the 80s and the 90s, like, when you had a good place, you just, you know, she had a family there. That she was raising her family. She can't just, like, up and leave. Luckily, Linda did not see Dan again, but Richard contacted Hopkins to apologize about the second kidnapping Dan pulled and to tell Linda that Dan had to be hospitalized in a mental facility. He went literally fucking insane. He literally went bananas, yeah. Mm -hmm. He also gave her more details into the abduction. He said the night of the beach encounter, there were two other cars that were visible in the space, but had taken off before they went back to their vehicle. So they noticed- like witnesses? Two other people were in their cars and probably had seen it themselves. He said Linda spoke to them telepathically multiple times during the time that they abducted her. The night of the beach with the look what you've done comment and also during the first kidnapping. Richard claims that they both heard her say telepathically, be kind, don't hurt me. When Dan heard it, he tried to exit the vehicle to drag Linda to the front, but he suddenly had paralysis in his arms. So he believes that it was Linda kind of telepathically controlling him. Richard believed this is the incident that led to Dan's obsession with Linda and believes she had powers. Because he believes that she was the one who gave him sleep paralysis in his Mm -hmm. arms and also was speaking to them telepathically it freaked him out linda has zero recollection of any telepathic communication ever in her life because maybe the aliens were using her to do it or maybe it was just them in general and not her at all yeah them protecting her later that same year in 1991 richard and linda met to hang out like they met up to hang out why and he suddenly confessed his love for her oh sure okay yeah cool Yeah, that's what she needs. Weirdly enough, though, Linda did not know how to react because she had been happily married, but had garnered feelings for Richard after he saved her from Dan. I mean, that's kind of like, you know, you're my savior. You know, you're my hero. Yeah, it's the you're falling in love with the hero, that type of thing. But that's what it sounds like originally. But this story takes yet another turn. Turns out they may have been weirdly connected beyond this abduction witness relationship. Richard stated to Hopkins in a letter about a recurring dream he had from the age of 10 to 25, where he was in a room with bright white lights with a female who was roughly three years younger than him, and he referred to her as, quote, Baby Anne, and she called him Mickey. Neither could recall their names while they were in that room in time and space, so this is what they called each other. He recalled that Baby Anne would be escorted by, quote, emotionless men. They would play together during these dreams, but years later, they became romantic as they grew older. Both of them begged the emotionless men to allow them to stay together, but they refused. And Dan had professed that at age 25, he was rather depressed after, his, after these particular dreams. He had basically fallen in love 
with the woman that he thought was a woman in his dreams. When he witnesses Linda abduction, he realized that she was actually baby Anne from his dreams. Wait, what? No. Mm-mm. No. Mm-mm. Yep. Mm-mm. Yep. Bud Hopkins had this info, but he never told Linda. Instead, he went the route of asking her if she recalled having any recurring dreams from, of certain people when she was younger. Linda replied, stating she had a very vivid dream, well, multiple dreams, about a boy named Mickey, and even expressed how similar her son Johnny was to Mickey in her dreams. Are they basically implying that Johnny may have been Richard's son via alien conception? I don't know. I mean, I would normally say, nah, that's but this story, I, I wouldn't even be surprised. Hopkins put her back in regressive therapy for a hypnosis pertaining to this Mickey fellow. She recalled she was in a changing room at a public pool when two blonde men in diving suits took her and carried her through the pool area, noting that the pool looked, quote, frozen in time. She then said once she left the pool area, there was a hovercraft that took all three of them above and led her into this featureless room with bright white lights. This is when and where she was introduced to Mickey. Linda was bought then back to the pool and all went back to normal. So this was like, if she's roughly three years younger than Richard, who was having these dreams at 10, this happened to her when she was seven. Seven, yeah. This relationship dream, or dream relationship, however you want to phrase it, progressed from friends to romance as their encounters continued, all this time being in this bright room. Neither knew they had the same exact dreams with the same exact names. Shortly after this discovery, the diplomat involved with the CIA officer Javier mailed Hopkins a letter stating to he had witnessed the abduction and he was still shaken by it. He agreed un- like anonymously to speak to Hopkins and stated if it ever went public, he would deny the event occurred. So I guess he'll deny it now, but this is according to Bud Hopkins. While Hopkins gets this letter, Linda received a letter from Dan from the hospital saying that Linda is a half-breed alien and he would escape the psychiatric hospital where they would run away together to a foreign country. So he's still obsessed with her even being at the hospital, saying he's in love with her, he's going to escape, he doesn't care that she's a half-breed, like all kinds of crazy shit. And weirdly enough, Dan actually did escape. His CIA buddies helped him. But Richard, in turn, stopped Dan with his CIA buddies. It became this like weird thing where I guess he heard that Dan escaped and Richard called some people. And to this day, no one knows what happened to Dan. Dan completely disappears from the story after this. Okay. Do you have anything to say? Um, No, I don't. I got goosebumps. I have nothing to say. I'm just going to drink. So I just can't envision this like CIA battle against CIA battle. And then one guy's never heard from again. I pictured like that scene in West Side Story where it's like the sharks and the jets. And it's like this CIA group and then this CIA group. And I'm just like, it's just a bunch of CIA dudes fighting each other. It's just kind of crazy. But I want to know what happened to Dan. No one knows. Literally never heard from again. At this point, Linda's story has gained national attention. I mean, duh. At this point? At this point? Not at any of the other points at this point? Okay. As a result of this, many others came forward as witnesses as well. And it was reported that the power went out and vehicles were affected. Well, there has to be other witnesses. Um, New York is always crowded. It doesn't. Of course. Like, no matter what time it is. If you're not from New York, I'm just letting you know, it doesn't matter what time it is. There are people outside. So you could be driving at 2, 3, 4, This 5 is 3.15 in the morning. People were still on yeah. the bridge. So, you know, I'm, if you're from a state where things close early, then you might not get it. But New York really is a city that never sleeps. A diner, a, a store, something open at any time of the night. If I'm hungry, there are bars that stay open. There are after there are afties like that you can go to. So like there's always stuff open. So there's still going to be plenty of witnesses to something that happened at three o'clock. Totally. And many people on the bridge witnessed this and they screamed in panic. So there was people that came forward saying. And that's what I remember on the trolley tour. She actually talked more about 
the bridge because we were on, we were talking about hauntings on the bridge and she was like there was an alien abduction that happened here and people on the bridge saw it so I always like pictured it happening on the bridge so I'm just so that makes sense yeah that's what I heard and then other people saw it and believed it was fake including Janet Kimball a retired telephone operator Janet's story was extremely similar to Dan and Richard's her car stalled on the Brooklyn Bridge and suddenly all the lights went out on the bridge and the surrounding area so we're talking the lamppost the- so did they just take all of the like everything that had any type of electricity or power they just took it all because her car also stalled yeah i don't know if my thing is well her car had stalled and then all the lights went out so she was like kind of getting out of her vehicle you know when something's happened dan and the other guys they're um, not on the bridge they're on the but they weren't on the bridge they were towards the side of the east river so they were like parked i just find it weird that both of their cars stalled. well i just don't know if aliens disabled all the electricity so that they could right. try to get away and be seen like turning off all the lights right. you can't verify what you see or if they them. needed it for power who knows like we don't really right. know what what the thing was and i can tell you this the lights are never shut off until the sun no, is ever, out ever until like, the sun is disasters up. have happened and it, it doesn't it doesn't until the sun is up those lights are on so for it to be off it's just strange traffic came to a halt she got out of her car looked up and saw a woman beamed up in the ship and then she plunged into the river. Though at this time, Janet and many people on the bridge thought they were witnessing a movie being filmed with special effects. That's I mean, how legit this would... sighting must have been for New Yorkers to mix up a movie scene. Unheard of. Unheard of. We know when you, you know when you're walking into a set. It's so obvious. Right. But I also think it's kind of like, I mean, it is New York and there's a lot of things filmed. And so I don't blame them for thinking it was part of a movie. Plus, in your head, you want to rationalize it. And you're like, well, that can't be real. So it must be a movie. Exactly. Another witness, a truck driver who is still unnamed to this day. So like he wanted to just stay private, came forward and witnessed it as well. And then another witness wrote an article about the event. A man named Yancey Spence, who was in the New York Post building with a few others, witnessed the traffic backup as a result of the lights shutting down. The journalist reported that he was leaving a local bar and he was too drunk to drive. So he asked the company driver to drive him home, but they were unable to drive as the limos were blocking the route. It's believed that those limos were carrying Dan, Richard, and Javier Perez de Aguilar. Because Hmm. their shit was stalled too, they were creating the traffic, and they realized, they looked over, saw that the bridge was off, saw that there was traffic everywhere, and he couldn't get anywhere. So he actually wrote about that. Later, in his article, The Day Manhattan Stood Still, Yancey Spencer discussed the theory. What if all the witnesses were abducted? I mean... Think about it. Could be. It's very possible. For the next 30 years, 25 witnesses slowly came forward, giving Linda Cortano Napolitano's story serious credibility. Hopkins had never told a single one of these people involved in the case corroboration of the other witnesses. All their stories match, becoming the most credible abduction cases in New York City. Linda said once the abduction became public, stranger things had continued to haunt her. She was followed, she was stalked, she was harassed by the same people over and over. How often do you see the same people over and over in New York? Doesn't happen. Is it the CIA? There's people I live close to that I don't see every single yeah. day. I'll see them once and not see them for months. She that even said there was, an, there was an incident. She was walking with her cousin and this person just came up to her and started grabbing her by the shoulder and was like trying to make her go with him. And he's like, you know, you know what you're doing. You know who you are. And she was like, no, no, no. And her, and her cousin grabbed her by the waist and they were basically tug-of-warring. And the guy finally let go when they overpowered him. That's just, that's just crazy to me that she already went through this whole big ordeal. And then for the rest of this time, she's getting stalked and harassed because of yep. it. Yep. So we don't know, is it the CIA? Are they aliens posing as humans? Right. Are they non-believers that are just like thinking she's bullshit? Weirdly enough, this was uh, 89 to roughly 91. I, to this day, 
can't find a source of where Linda is. And honestly, I don't blame her one bit. Change your name, move, do something. I would want to hide away from all the worlds, literally the worlds, trying to pull me in their directions too. So that is the case of Linda Cortile Napolitano or the Brooklyn Bridge abduction. All my hair is standing up. (laughs) I'm glad it was good because I was like worried it wasn't your October good. So I'm a little tipsy. And I was going to watch like a horror movie later and I don't think I want to watch it anymore. I'm going to turn on all of the lights. For the, it is two o'clock in the afternoon in New York. I want to turn on all of it. It's my new lights. and I'm still in my sleeping room. So I'm very, very creeped out. I'm like, I can't. Who does that? Who does that? Who does that? Who, who does that? that? So I have a who does that that hits close to home, which is why this episode creeped me out so much because everything's close to home in this episode. When things get close to home, I freak <laughs> yeah. the fuck out. But. This post is especially near and dear to my heart because it actually happened in my neighborhood. And I actually, if you guys know what Citizen is, it's just like an app that tells you all the crap that's going on in your neighborhood that gives you anxiety. There was an alert, particularly about this. So this happened on September 30th. We're on October 3rd. So this just happened. And it reads, police chase loose deer through Brooklyn for two hours. So I have to tell you that the Citizen alert for this actually alerted us to a reindeer chase. And at that point, I just looked at the Citizen app. The What bothers me about this is that police spent two hours of Citizen's tax dollars chasing an animal. Isn't that what animal control is for? I thought that's what this was about. See, this is when the people say cops are overextended. I didn't know that this fell under the NYPD's umbrella. Neither did I. But I can tell you that the minute that I read that there was cops chasing a reindeer, I looked at my phone and I was like, fucking 2020 like the holidays come sooner and sooner every year now there's a goddamn reindeer before halloween yeah i was just like so now we're just (laughs) we're skipping halloween and thanksgiving now like we're just straight into december i went to sleep woke up in december like i was just like whatever people are really in a rush to end this fucking year i I get it the funny thing is that if you're from here you know how ridiculous this is but if you're not from here i can just tell you that where i live in brooklyn it's not known for its wildlife like There's no deer here because there's no woods here. It's all apartment buildings. And then we have like a huge like shopping mall with like that used to have a Toys R Us. It has a a Best Buy. It has a huge parking lot. I am nowhere near anything that could sustain deer life. The closest thing to that is Staten Island, which is, you know, the next borough over. But in order to get to Staten Island, you have to go over a, a long bridge. That's not normal here. And that's what made it all the more ridiculous that I'm just like, this has to just be something that happens in freaking 2020. So this was September 30th. Police in Brooklyn spent more than two hours chasing a white-tailed deer that apparently swam to New York City from Staten Island. Which, again, if you're not from here, if you want a comparison on what Staten Island is to the boroughs, it is the Florida of the five boroughs. Nobody likes Staten Island. It's fair. If you're from Staten Island, you know you don't like it. So don't even, don't even get, don't even Everyone I met from Staten Island moved to Brooklyn. So that's how I knew them. They're like, I'm from Staten Island. I'm like, oh, condolences. And it's funny because the people I know that went from Brooklyn to Staten Island will always say they're from Brooklyn and never admit they're from Staten Island. (laughs) The New York Police Department said the deer was first spotted around noon Tuesday running loose through the Gravesend neighborhood. Police pursued the deer through the borough for more than two hours before it was tranquilized in a resident's yard. A video from the scene shows officers carrying the deer to a waiting truck on a stretcher. Police said the animal had likely swam to Brooklyn from Staten Island, which has a large population of the animals. The deer was taken to a... How? How did he cross that nasty water? Because he was very determined to get the fuck out of Staten Island. I don't know. It was an angsty teenage deer that just said, fuck yeah, it, I'm I'll going. Fuck this herd. But 
the good news is the deer was taken to a forest preserve on Staten Island and released, so the deer is okay. But I don't. I mean, he already knows how to get here, so probably gonna come back. But you know what? To be fair, though, you know we are the visitors in New York because New York used to be a marshland, and wolves and other woodland creatures used to actually occupy the space. So I always wonder if cement and buildings and noise pollution and general pollution and population there's still this like call from nature to tell these animals this is your home like you come back and you claim that territory so i always wonder if there's a part yeah, of that they could just be like shit this is my land man you're not even supposed to be totally here. so just food yeah. for thought thought it was a good one but i love that that was that was hilarious and i'm really glad that we kept all of this pretty much in brooklyn Pretty much. <laughs> Today was just a, it was not on purpose. I did not know that Christie's episode really. I knew it took place in New York, but I didn't know it actually took place where it did. So just a coincidence that we both decided to keep it close to home. We really, really, really hope you enjoyed this episode. We hope it was a good way to kick off eerie October. I know I'm thoroughly creeped out and I'm glad it's still daylight outside. Follow us on Instagram, on Twitter, you know, the normal spiel that we give you at the end of these episodes. But most importantly, stay weird, America's. Bye. Bye.